0: Well, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 11. It is the first Sunday of the month, and so we have family worship. There is no children's church. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper uh, here in just a bit. Uh, But we'll all stay together in the sanctuary this morning. So turn with me to Judges, chapter 11. We're continuing our series entitled Unheroic. Looking at some, some figures in the book of Judges who are less than heroes. Now, we're looking at four of them. This is our third one. And, and as we progress, we see them getting less and less likable. We started with someone who really could be defined as a hero in the person of Deborah. Now, Deborah was the first judge that we looked at in the book of Judges. Now, she was truly a judge in the sense that she she would have people bring their problems and, and try to help them out in different ways. But she was not a conqueror, she was not a commander, she was not a military leader, she was not who the people expected. She was a prophetess who God used in place of Barak, who was maybe the the more well-known or or more important person of the day. Last week we looked at the, the character Gideon. And we found that Gideon was was not someone of great strength. He was very weak and small. And yet God used him in spite of all of his fears and in all of his doubts. And today we're looking at an individual named Jephthah. Now how many of you all remember learning about Jephthah in Sunday school growing up? It was always a big flannel board and you guys remember? No, we don't learn a lot about Jephthah, do we? If you do know Anything about Jephthah, you're probably getting sick to your stomach thinking about some of the things that Jephthah was involved in. And we're going to look at those this morning. There's a progression in the book of Judges to get worse and worse. And Jephthah may be our first true anti-hero. Other than the fact that God used him, there really is no redeeming moral quality recorded about Jephthah. He's not someone that we're going to like much as we read his story. Now, I warned you, if you read the book of Judges, sometimes it's not so G-rated. Maybe I picked a bad Sunday to have all the children in the sanctuary with us. Uh, We'll kind of clean up the story a little bit, but read Judges chapter 11, if you will, and you're going to see some things referenced that we're not going to delve into. We're going to read about some things that that maybe you can talk to your kids about later. And it it gets scarier and scarier as the story goes on. Um, It's not inappropriate, it's God's word, but at the same time, if they made a movie about it, it would not be rated G. Jephthah was not a noble character. That doesn't mean he didn't do good. It doesn't mean he wasn't a believer in God. He was a believer in God. But the story doesn't emphasize these positive attributes. Judges chapter 11 emphasizes his faults, the things that he did poorly. So let's get an introduction to Jephthah, looking at Judges 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was a son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. So what do we know about Jephthah from this introduction? What are some qualities we learn about this this strong judge and hero of the faith? Well, for starters, we learn that he was a mighty warrior. That's what verse 1 tells us right off the bat. He was a mighty warrior. Compare him to Gideon last week. Now Gideon was called by the angel of God a mighty warrior, but, but did people perceive Gideon to be mighty or a warrior? No. Gideon was a coward, right? Gideon was hiding. Gideon was shifting responsibility. Gideon was trying to get out of being a mighty warrior. Jephthah is different. He is described as this strong, burly, mighty warrior of a man. We also learn that he is the illegitimate child of Gilead and he's banished from his family. I'll let you do some of that explaining later, but he was not welcome in his father's house. The the other children in the house, because he was illegitimate, drove him out. And this is what it was really about, just so we get a proper perspective of things that shape Jephthah. As a family would grow and more and more sons were born, the father's inheritance gets spread thinner and thinner. So you have two sons, then you're going to split the inheritance between just two sons. If you have ten sons, you have to split the inheritance between ten sons. Well, the other sons of Gilead found a loophole to get a little bit more in their inheritance. Hey, if we can get rid of this Jephthah character... He's not even really a legitimate child. He was born outside of our family unit. If we can get rid of him, we'll have a little bit more for ourselves. This is the mindset of the people of Israel at this time. I think this is a good description as we read Judges at just how wicked the people can be. It wasn't about, let's take care of him or let's help him out. And and, poor man, he, he needs extra. Instead it was, I want what's mine. Let's kick him out of the family. Give him no protection, no provisions, nothing to help him on his way. And so what we find is is that without the family support, he surrounds himself, in verse 3, with worthless fellows. If you don't have a family that loves you, you surround yourself with someone who will care for you. And what, what Jephthah found was some worthless individuals. If you look at other translations, sometimes you find the word reckless. These were not men who followed the one true God. These were not men who you would want your kids hanging around. These are not men of good repute, and these are the men that Jephthah is surrounded by. So this is a a picture of how we're shaping who Jephthah is, and let's see how he's reintroduced to his family and his people. He's kicked out to the land of Tob, but lo and behold, in verse 4, a problem arises. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. Why do you think they went to go get Jephthah? Well, verse 1, right? He was a mighty warrior. We need someone big and strong to fight for us. Verse 5 says they they come to Jephthah and say, Come be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. And rightly so, in verse 7, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? He he points out the obvious, right? Verse 2, get out. You're not part of our family. We want nothing to do with you. Verse 6, you're big and strong, and we need you to come fight for us, right? Jephthah goes, sorry, guys. You didn't want me then. You don't get me now. So they have a dialogue back and forth, and they work out a deal in the following verses. Jephthah basically says, if you'll make me your leader and you'll make me in charge, As long as I can be the boss, I will come back and lead an army for you, and we'll go fight against the Ammonites. And so we read in verse 11, Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. So Jephthah is like a rags-to-riches story, right? You can't be a part of our family, but because you have this brute strength, We want you to come back and be our leader. And he ends up being uh, the judge over all of Israel, the leader over all of Israel, simply because he has more muscles than everyone else. In the following verses, you can kind of glance over them. Jephthah proceeds to send a correspondence to the king of the Ammonites. He he writes to him and basically he says, uh, hey, why are you fighting against us? To which the king writes back to him and says, Well, it's because years ago when the Israelites came out of Egypt, you stole our land and now we're taking it back. So Jephthah says a few things in response. One, he says, we didn't take your land. We only fought against the people who made war with us first. By the way, that's a lie, okay? We read Jephthah outright lying. The people of Israel came in on God's command and possessed the land. They didn't passively wait. Instead, they went and they found the land God had given them and they took it by force. This, by the way, is, is something we can go into another time. This was God's will, and Jephthah is lying about God's purpose for the Israelites. He then also proceeds to say that they only took the land that God told them to take. That is the truth. They didn't go and try to expand their territory at this time. God said, this is the specific land for you. And the people of Israel, at coming out of Egypt, coming out of the desert, went and took the specific land. Then Jephthah makes a very bold proclamation to the king of the Ammonites. He says, basically, if your God wanted you to have the land, he would have won the battle. But your God was too weak, and our God kicked your God's butt. That, that's the Trey Reed version, by the way. But that's basically what he says. If your God was strong enough then you would have the land. Our God won the victory. Our God won the battle. And so that's why we have the land. And then he closes his, his letter to the king of the Ammonites by saying, there were these previous kings who lived peaceably among us. They didn't go to war with us. Can't we go back just by living side by side in peace and harmony? Now It's important to hear what Jephthah is trying to convince the king of the Ammonites. If you read the book of Joshua, God said, do not live side by side next to the people of the land. You'll end up following their gods. You need to drive them out. Jephthah's compromising here, right? Actually, he's building on a previous compromise. Why don't you just live peacefully with us? Why don't we just live side by side and we'll, we'll kind of coexist together and everything will be just fine? Jephthah is not writing out of a... a a desire to please God, he's writing as a mighty warrior would, trying to flex his muscle and emphasize that he is going to get what he wants. Well, what we read is that the king of the Ammonites in verse 28 did not listen to the words of Jephthah and the words that he had sent to him. So this means war, right? Jephthah, the mighty warrior, is ready to go to battle, but we find that Jephthah has more than muscle on his side. In verse 29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. This is a a crucial and important phrase to remember for the rest of the sermon. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on from Mizpah of Gilead and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. He's marching to war through these providences and these towns because the Spirit of the Lord is on him. And we're going to look at kind of these in-between verses we're skipping by, but let's look at the end result in verse 33. It says, Jephthah struck them from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth. Twenty cities as far as Abel-Karamim, With a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. What we find is that Jephthah is good at what he does. And he conquers the land back. Why? It's important to remember why. Because he had great strength? No. Because the Spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah. As we look at this individual, we're going to find that God uses this man in spite of his flaws, and in spite of his worst attributes. We're going to read here in just a moment some horrible things that Jephthah is involved in, and yet we find God's desire to use him anyways. If you have your bullets in, there's, there's two blanks that we're going to fill out, but you can jot side notes as well as we kind of delve off into some different ideas. The first blank in your notes says this, In Jephthah, God used a man with a past. God used a man with a past. Jephthah did not come to fight with clean hands. He was not someone who had lived an exemplary life. He had a history. And in spite of his history, God chose to use him. Can I tell you why this is so important to me? When I read about Jephthah, I look and I say, God used a man who did things in his past which were unspeakable, and yet God overlooked them and forgave them. I wonder if God can use you and you and I in spite of our past and in spite of the things that we carry with us, in spite of the burdens that we bear, in spite of our, our history, do you think God could possibly send His Spirit on us and use us? You know, part of Jephthah's past was due to circumstance. They weren't in his control. You and I carry burdens that that have nothing to do with actions that we've taken. Instead, they're, they're everything to do with the, the hand we've been dealt. We see, for starters, Jephthah's past came from his family. In verse 1, we read it. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Hey, can we just state the obvious here? It is not Jephthah's fault that he is an illegitimate child. It's it's not anything that, that he did, right? He is completely innocent in this and yet it affects his character and who he is. It affects how people treat him and therefore it affects how he responds to people. Part of Jephthah's past was simply due to the fact that he had circumstances beyond his control. You and I carry with us burdens that, that we never asked for. We carry around a past and a history that we're not proud of, but we didn't create. It's just the hand that God has given us. There's struggles that we have in life that we think hinder us from accomplishing things God calls us to do. There's a a great example in the New Testament of a man who had a circumstance that should have kept him from serving God. Paul writes that he has a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know whether that's a physical ailment, whether that's a spiritual ailment, or whether that's a relational ailment, we we don't know what it is, but there's something Paul says that he did not do, he just has been given to keep him humble that should keep him from serving God. But Paul clearly states, it will not. My past, my history, my circumstances are not an excuse to keep me from being used by God. I wonder what circumstances you have in your life, things that you deal with on a daily basis, burdens you carry and you bear, that you use as excuses not to serve God. If I only had this standing, if I only had these finances, if I only had this relationship with my family, if I only had this gift or ability, if I wasn't born with this ailment, if I didn't develop this sickness, if I wasn't in the condition that I'm in, then God could use me. Can I tell you, God wants to use you in spite of your circumstances and in spite of your history, in spite of your past. Gilead was not given a fair shake. He was abandoned. He was sent out. And his circumstances, quite honestly, stunk. And God said, I want to use you anyway. So another part of Gilead's past was due to bad decisions he made. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our circumstances are just given to us, but a lot of others are ones that we've created. Positions we've put ourselves in by by sinful choices. We read Gilead struggled with this as well in verse 3, or Jephthah struggled with this as well in verse 3. Jephthah fled from his brothers to live in the land of Tob. Out of his circumstance, he's driven out. But worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Jephthah made a decision to surround himself by people of ill repute. He made the decision that his closest friends would be people who, who were worthless, who weren't God followers, who didn't honor the one true God. Jephthah then made a name for himself, let's remember, as a mighty warrior. There's a reason why the people came to him and said, will you come and lead us? It's because they knew he's big and he's strong and he's shown his strength before. If we're honest, we read this story and understand that Jephthah had blood on his hands. It seems as if he was some sort of of mercenary. We don't know that for sure, but... But the implication is that he made a living with this group of men going out and killing people who needed to be killed. It seems as if he made his life surrounded by people who would go contrary to what God would call them to do. He lived a life of sin. And so Jephthah had a past. A sinful, burden-filled past. I wonder what things we've done in our past. Decisions we've made, sins we've committed that eat alive at us. We look back and we say, if I wouldn't have acted that way, maybe God would care more. If I only had listened, but I didn't. God can't use me if you only knew the things that I have done. See, we all carry our own burdens and our own past. And they become excuses not to be used by God. They're burdens that that we carry, that we feel disqualify us from serving the way God would have us to serve. Some of those are circumstances dealt to us, but, oh, how many people have I counseled that have looked and said, if you only knew my history. I've talked and I've prayed with people who literally have blood on their hands. I've sat and I've counseled people who have thrown years of their life away due to bad decisions. And just as we read in the book of Judges, God does not look at your past and disqualify you from service. In the person of Jephthah, we see God uses a man with a bloody and horrible and wicked past. I wonder if God could use you and your past. Secondly, not only do we see God use Jephthah as a man with a history, but but God uses Jephthah as a man who is still currently in sin. In Jephthah, God uses a sinful, and we're going to find very wicked man. Jephthah was not cleaned up in this account. Let, let's read it and learn about what Jephthah is really most famous for. It's not about a conquest, it's not about a conquering of the Ammonites. What Jephthah is most known for is. What I think he would look back and say he wishes would be forgotten. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. As Jephthah is preparing to go to war, he makes a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Can we just step back for a minute and say, This is a really weird vow? All right, Lord, if you'll give me victory when I come home, whatever comes out of my house first, I will set on fire for you. <laughs> How many of you all have made a vow like that before? Lord, if you will just give me that promotion, I will burn whatever comes out of my house. Right? No, this is weird. This is strange. Where does Jephthah get this idea from? It's not from the, the scriptures. It's not from the oral tellings of how God has saved the people of Israel. It's it's not from God himself. No, this is a vow that is made typically to false gods and false idols. We will sacrifice something to you if you'll make this wheel and deal with me. And so what Jephthah has done is taken a pagan religious practice and applied it to the one true God. He's mixing religions together in a very, very sinful way. We continue to read in verse 34 that Jephthah came home after his victory at Mizpah and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. So the promise in verse 30 and 31, Lord, when I come home after victory, if you give me victory, whatever comes out of my house, I will burn on an altar to you. He shows up and what do you know, daddy's little girl is sitting inside, so excited to see her victorious father come home. She bolts out the door with tambourines and dancing and celebrating the victory that God has given him. Verse 35, as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low and you've become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Wow, what an even weirder conclusion, right? I think if I'm coming back and it's my flesh and blood children that are coming out to greet me, in Jephthah's case, his one and only daughter, he goes, wait a second, this isn't God honoring. Let's pick the second thing that comes out of my house. Isn't there a chicken that's going to follow you or something? You know, isn't there some, some animal that might come out? Don't you want to toss a loaf of bread out before you come? What, would Let's change it up a little bit. Jephthah does not. Jephthah looks and he says, I made a vow to the Lord, and even though you're my daughter, I must keep it. I want to make something very clear this morning. Very, very clear. Because there's a lot of confusion when people read Judges chapter 11. This is not God honoring. There are things we read about in Scripture that are descriptions of what happened without having the stamp of God's approval on them. God's will was not for Jephthah to keep his vow, and sacrifice his daughter. As a matter of fact, God does not want that. So before we start making the God of the Bible out to be this wicked person who demands human sacrifices, God's will, as revealed all throughout Scripture, is not to murder and not to offer human beings as sacrifices. Yet Jephthah commits one sin by mixing religions, and he compounds it with another sin by saying, I'm going to keep my word. As he talks to his daughter, they, they make an agreement that she will live for two months in mourning. Mourning that she's never been married, never been with a man, never started a family. And after those two months, we read in verse 39, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. This is one of those disturbing passages in Scripture that we look at and say, Jephthah's a wicked, horrible, evil man. In Jephthah, though, God uses even the wicked, horrible, and evil. Jephthah didn't understand God's nature. He didn't understand that God would never design a vow that they would have to sacrifice a human being. We realize that God would never demand from his people that they would actually physically kill their children. Oh, we, we read in the book of Genesis, there was one time when God looked at Abraham and said, sacrifice your son. But, but guess what? As soon as that knife was raised, God said, don't do it. My will is not for you to shed blood. I wanted to see your obedience. Please don't kill your child. The only time in all of Scripture that a child is ever sacrificed appropriately is on the cross when God himself gives his own son. There is never, ever an appropriate time outside of the sacrifice of Christ that we see human sacrifice as acceptable in God's eyes. Jephthah vastly misunderstood the character of God. He also didn't keep God's command. The do not murder command that was given to the people of Israel, Jephthah throws out the window. The have no other gods before me that God has given the people of Israel, Jephthah ignores. He's not obedient. He doesn't live a godly life. And yet, God uses him. You see, God didn't wait for Jephthah to understand everything about him. God doesn't wait for you to have all the answers and know everything about God. So many of us are are sitting back and saying, if I only knew this, if I could only get to this level, if I could only understand these things, then I could serve God. What are you waiting for? God didn't wait for Jephthah to understand his character. He simply said, go, and he used him. God doesn't wait for you to clean up your life to be perfect. God doesn't only want to use perfect people. He even uses those of us who struggle daily in our sin. His desire is to use even those of us who who fall short. Does He want us to fall short? No. Does He want us to, to confess and repent of our sin? Absolutely. But does He want us to be perfect before we serve Him? He's not waiting for your perfect life. There was only... One characteristic that mattered on Jephthah, only one reason that God used him. it wasn't his past and it wasn't his present. It was in verse twenty nine the spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah. That's all that mattered. I wonder this morning if the spirit of the Lord is on you I don't mean in some some crazy second spirit kind of way. I, I mean, do you have a relationship with the one true God? Throughout the New Testament, the promise is the moment that we confess our sins and trust that Jesus Christ is Lord, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've confessed sins and trusted Jesus as Savior and acknowledged that He knows what's best for your life. I wonder if the Spirit of the Lord is on you. You see, God wants to use you. And He doesn't want to do it because your past is spotless. He doesn't want to do it because your life is free from sin. He wants to do it because He's called you and He sent His Spirit on you. This morning, do you have the Spirit of the Lord? Have you trusted Him with your life? The invitation this morning is not a question on whether you have sin in your life that needs to be forgiven. That that certainly is the case, and it does. The question is, have you put your faith and trust in the one who can forgive that sin? As we pray this morning, will you ask yourself the question, Does God want to use me? And do I have the Spirit of the Lord through salvation? Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for Jephthah, even though we, we don't read positive qualities from him. Lord, quite honestly, there are things in his life he would like to forget and we would like to forget. Lord, if we're honest, there are things in our life that we would like to forget about ourselves. Lord, we confess to you sin. We ask that you would help us repent. Lord, you want us to to turn from our wicked ways and do what is right, but before any of that, before we can even think about cleaning up our lives, Lord, we need your Spirit. Lord, we ask that every individual in here would would examine their hearts Is the Spirit of the Lord on me? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive my sins? Have I confessed those and asked that He would lead me and guide me and be my Lord and my King? Father, the promise is that that if we put our faith and trust in You as Savior and Lord, that, that You will send Your Spirit on us and You will use us in spite of our past, in spite of our sin, in spite of our struggle. Lord, make us like Jephthah in this one quality that we seek Your Spirit to rest on us and that we are available to be used. Lord, let us be reminded that if we have Your Spirit, there is nothing, literally nothing, that keeps us from accomplishing what You call us to do. So make us bold to serve You. Lord, save us this morning and send us Your Spirit. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.